0: Just, um, if I may, follow on from that. I I read a lot about people who pray, so I read read things like um, a chap called um, John Hyde, who's known as Praying Hyde. That's not too intimidating, is it? And uh, Reese Howells, the intercessor, and other prayerful people, and sometimes feel a little bit sort of overwhelmed by um, the way that God uses them, or has used them in the past in prayer and David Brainerd is another one some names thrown out there for about praying and it's easy to be intimidated but but what i was trying to work out is how they do that how do you do that i want to get to the technicalities of how you get from being someone who's new to faith to somebody who hears god very clearly and then gets into the sort of the technicalities of prayer and and in reading some of these these ones there seemed to be a consistency where god told them to pray and they were able to hear and know that god had told them so there was a conviction inside i must you know and that that some people call it your knower that place where you know things i know that i need to pray and and then what happens very often is that they then begin to pray and lay it before the Lord and just keep on asking God to intervene. God, would you intervene? God, would you intervene? And it seemed to me that they keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that until they know in their spirit or in their knower that God has heard and they don't need to pray anymore. It seems to be a consistency across these different books as I've read and their experience. And I have to say that... Uh, in praying, in that situation Pete was mentioning last Sunday afternoon and last Sunday evening, the, the, the text Pete said that I sent where well, it was never in doubt, a little bit flippant, yes, probably, but I've never really had that experience where I've been in a place of praying and I felt the heavy burden of the praying and I've prayed and prayed and the heavy burden has actually lifted and gone away and I felt that I can't or don't need to pray anymore. That's very rarely, if ever, happened to me before. And so so in one sense, you know, I agree with Pete entirely. It's hard to explain that to people who don't understand it. It's hard to explain it here because it's, it's kind of quite hard to understand. But, but there's something about that where, where God, by his Holy Spirit, was at work. I believe it really sincerely. And, uh, and I'm delighted for the family that God has intervened. That's, uh, you know, for them more than, more than anyone. I'm really pleased. So unless anybody else doesn't want me to preach on Ephesians, I'm going to crack on. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I need one of those blue Bibles. Thank you. Well, it's like I've got my favorite Bible here and uh, it's not quite the same. So Ephesians 2 and uh, we'll begin at verse 6. We're just going to read a few verses. So it says this, and God raises us up with Christ and seated us. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the last couple of weeks we've been uh, reading through these words and they're really, really important. For me, these last few verses here of this passage, um, 8, 9 and 10, is the antidote to some of the great misunderstandings and misconceptions of the church. Those who would say that the church is about being nice and full of nice people, and those who think that the church is full of those who will behave in a religious fashion. For me, these verses are the antidote to that, and we're going to get into that in a minute. And so, and so I really want to pray, if I can, in the name of Jesus, we break that spirit of niceness of the church the, the, the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control it doesn't say anything about being nice because so, nice is very often a soulish um um self, sort of pityish thing and it can sometimes be um, mis, misappropriated and it and it has that kind of pity about it sometimes when we're trying to apply it to other people and and sometimes niceness doesn't get the kingdom job job done and the other thing is uh, about this kind of spirit of religiosity where, where we behave in a certain religious fashion as if that is going to somehow bring in the favor and the presence and the blessing of God. Somehow, because we go to church, that's enough. Because we sit in the chairs or the pews, that's enough. Because, so because we take communion or listen to the sermon or sing the songs or, 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 or occasionally say a prayer, that's going to be sufficient. But actually what Paul is saying is that these things aren't sufficient. And this is the reason why they're not sufficient. So last week we, we thought a little bit about verse 6, God raised us up with Christ. We spend a lot of our time trying to raise ourselves up with our profile or our image or our self-image or those sorts of things, but we cannot raise ourselves up. Only Christ can raise us up from the place where we are utterly dead and defeated to a place of life and light and new hope only Christ can do that just in the same way that God could not raise Christ from the dead until Christ was dead he had to be dead not mostly dead not unconscious but he had to be dead and buried in the ground he had to be finished with his old life and he was being raised up from death And then he was seated at the right hand. God cannot raise us from death until we realise that we are dead, and we realise that sin has killed us. That we recognise that we are without hope and without God in the world. As soon as we, as soon as we think that that Jesus is going to, um, God is going to raise us in order that 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 He's going to boost our ego or or boost our self-esteem, we've missed it. The only thing that, um, uh, that, that Paul promises here is that when we are dead, Christ will make us alive. Not that he will make us nice or better. He hasn't come to make good people better. He has made, come to make dead people alive. That's the truth, isn't it? And so the, the, the church where we think the church needs to be full of nice and good people, well, yeah, okay. But we begin by being dead. Because otherwise the really broken and lost people will never find Jesus, will they? Because they come and they look in the church and they think, I can never be nice like them. Look at all them, nicely dressed. That's why, that's why I don't dress nicely, because I want to be attractive to other... Anyway, that's another thing. Um, you know, the people, people are put off by the niceness of the church. It should be a place where the broken come to be mended, where the dead come to be brought alive, where those who are lost come to be found, not where the nice come to have decent coffee. You know, do you see what I mean? So, so we, um, God can't raise us from the dead until we're properly dead. And, um, and, then he, and then what he does is he seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And that's the sort of thing I was talking about with Pete, that, that spiritual things start to happen. When you have been dead and you've been raised to life in Christ and the Holy Spirit falls on you and, 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 and enables you, you suddenly start to hear God speak. You suddenly start to know in your knower the things that you should do. Your conscience comes alive. You see things with bright colors in vivacity. You start to come alive to the spiritual things around you. And God speaks to you in dreams and in visions and in prophecies and through the scripture and through other people. And suddenly spiritual things, you, you, you start, like Pete was saying, you know, spiritual things are happening and, and coincidences occur and you find yourself in the, at the right place at the right time and speaking to the right person and, and bumping into that person that you had a dream about. Spiritual stuff begins to happen as you are raised and you are seated with Christ um, uh, in heavenly realms. Spiritual things. But then if we just crack forward to verse, um, verse 8... And I have a real problem with sometimes talking about some of these things from Ephesians because, because it seems to me that we are so far off the early church and what the early church were doing they they were people who prayed in tongues and prayed in the spirit and prophesied daily they gave generously they, 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 they had invested everything thrown everything into this spiritual life thrown everything into follow jesus following jesus they had they had really burnt their bridges and given everything thrown it all into that, and very, very few people that I know, including myself, have really gone as far as that, and so, and so sometimes it, it, it's hard to imagine what they're talking about, because they're, they're, it's almost like they're ministering and living on an entire different level, even though it's a level that we should be operating at. Do you see what I mean? It's like me going to the guys who play football on a Saturday evening down here and start to talk to them about... or getting in a Premier League coach to come in and speak to them about about how we're going to cope with fame now we play football and what it's going to be like being rich and getting these new cars and being on the TV all the time and getting that sort of amazing contract and package. We play football on a Saturday evening for an hour to a spectacularly low standard, I think, Pete, having watched you play. And... uh, And, um, uh, um, and, and, and so you start to say, if you start to impose sort of Premier League expectations on it, it's nonsense, it's ridiculous. And for us, sometimes, we are like the local league expecting Premier League spirituality. But, but, but whereas for us lot on a Saturday, there's no hope of Premier League stuff, for us in church, there should be Premier League spirituality, if you get what I mean. And so, and so, I, so for us to understand this, I really want us to function To be be pressing into, if you want to understand Paul in Ephesians, pray more. Do more spiritual things. You know, listen to God more. Read the scripture more. Pray in the spirit. Pursue spiritual gifts. Seek the presence of God. Do those things even more. And begin to see him at work. So, um, going on um, then to verse 8. For it is by grace undeserved favor that you have been saved by grace you have been saved and i want to go back to what i said i've said previously about being saved this for those of us who are nice you know our prayer for salvation is mostly that god will save us from um, not getting that holiday that we want because of the coronavirus or, or, or that we, you know, that, that God will save us from the, from the absence of quinoa from the shelves of waitrose. You know, whereas with Paul, salvation is from death and darkness and the demonic and hell. And he's seen people who were demonized and he's seen people who lived through Roman Empire and Roman philosophy and the, and the sheer hell of, the, of their lifestyle, of their sexual behavior and of their slavery and of their brutality and their violence. And for him, salvation is from the darkness and the corruption of the heart and of the system and of the behavior. And for some of us, we need to realize that salvation is from something deep and dark and deadly, rather than from something which is trivial. Some of us, you know, it's about something, salvation here, you know, we, we, salvation from something bad, uh, do, you, do you get it? Something bad. So, so it's not about we're being saved from something good. Thank goodness, Bruni, you saved me from getting that decent holiday. Thank goodness, Mavis, you saved me from that promotion. I was just about getting to get promoted, but you rang in and you made sure I didn't quite get it. Thank you so much for saving me from that opportunity and that promotion. Thank goodness you saved me. Thank goodness you saved me, Tim, from, that, from, lo- from, from getting that brilliant holiday I've been looking forward to. What a load of nonsense. Get it in our heads that it, we're being saved from death. From death, death. From eternal, death. Separation from God, forever. And, and, and perhaps some definition of hell is where there's um, no light and no truth and no love. Do you get that? No light and no truth and no love. So that's darkness and confusion and chaos and hate and anxiety. Some people live in those places already. And the, this salvation Paul is talking about is that we are being saved from that. Not because we deserve it, but because God has come and rescued us. He has reached out and found us. We are in a hopeless condition. And he has saved us and rescued us. And it is a physical, spiritual experience. When I was, became a Christian, when I was saved, if you like... Sounds a bit American evangelical, but it's the truth of the matter. I was saved from sin when I was 18-ish, 17 and a half-ish. And I didn't know much about sin, but I do know what happened when I put my trust in Jesus Christ and he he took so much of that weight and that anxiety and that emptiness away and filled me with his presence and helped me from then to stop sinning in certain ways. And then I have to begin to walk out that salvation, live it out, work it out. For it is by grace you have been saved. And and this is a gift of God through faith. If you turn um, to the book of Hebrews, um, it it tells us a little bit about faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And that is on page 1209. And it says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And our confidence is in the personality and the promise of God. That's what our confidence is. Our faith is in the personality and the promises of God. Our confidence isn't in ourselves. It's not in the erratic nature of the people around us or the world we live in. It is in the promise of God that he has promised. And his Holy Spirit as a down payment in us is that kind of deposit of something which he's promised. If, our, if we say to our kids, and we have done this in the past, we are going to Euro Disney, which isn't the journey to heaven on earth, by the way. It's more likely the other thing that Chris Rea sang on. This is the road. To, anyway, <laughs> um, if they know that, they have their confidence in us that we've got tickets and we're gonna get them to Paris and then we're gonna get them on that, that, ru- that ride where you go around in a boat and you sing, it's a small world after all, for those of you who've ever been there. Don't, don't do it. Our co- that's our comp- so, so they have confidence in us that we promise that they're going to get there. They haven't seen it. They don't know that we're going there. Well, they know we we said we're going there, but they don't know from looking at the road. They know that we've gone on the train. They know that we're in France. They know that we're heading towards Paris, but they still don't know until we arrive at the destination. But they have confidence because that's what we've promised. And so that's the same, really, that we have confidence that we are being saved not only for heaven but for life now. And we we have that Holy Spirit in us which gives us that, um, that foretaste, and we are on our way moving with God. For, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. So in the same way that, that salvation is a gift from God, and it's not something we can achieve by, achieve by being nice, or by being good, or by being religious, faith itself doesn't come from us. It's not something we whip up. It's not something we inherit in our genetics. How many of you were brought up in a Christian family? Put your hands up. <laughs> a church family. Okay. Um, you don't inherit faith genetically. It doesn't come through the bloodline. It is not something that you gain from your parents, like a big nose or flat feet. What you get, it, this is something which God gives us a gift. He gives it as a gift. Salvation is a gift. Here is salvation for you. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't achieve it. Salvation is for you. I'm going to rescue you from your sin and the consequences of your sin and the way it affects your mind and your will and your emotions. I'm going to rescue you from it. And in order for you to experience it, I am also going to give you this gift of faith. Here is faith for you in order that you might be able to live in it. It is a gift from God Also, this is what Paul says, um, through faith, and this is not your own faith, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If you turn back a few pages to 2 Corinthians, page 1166, Paul boasts about his sufferings. Yeah, he says this, verse 16, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, um, but if you do, then tolerate me just a little a fool, so I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools, since you're so wise. Paul being a bit sarcastic and rude here. In fact, do you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face? To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. If I must burn, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever and knows that I am not lying. Paul often speaks about his own frailty and his own weakness. He had much to boast about, but he says that we cannot boast about our works. So here we have it. For those of us who think that being nice and, uh, and, and doing all those nice things is going to be the, the answer to get us into heaven, Paul says you cannot because we, we are so naturally boastful about ourselves. Look at me, God, I have earned and achieved all of this. Verse 9, not by works so no one can bo- boast. We are not saved by works, but actually, if you look at verse 10, we are bo- saved by for good works let me just say that again we are not saved by works when I say works that is all those you know feeding the poor being generous to others giving our money being religious in our practice we're not saved by any of those things we are saved for good works for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, as we begin to think about what this looks like, um, we turn to the Book of Ephesians, uh, Philippians, rather, chapter two, page one one seven nine. All of our good works are as filthy rags. They will not achieve our salvation. But in, in Philippians chapter 2, first one, um, chap, uh, page 1179, it says, It's therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose God has got good things good works good interventions for us to do even in advance and so what Paul says is this obey even as you obey continue to obey continue to seek the Lord continue to pray continue to worship continue to give continue to to do spiritual things because as you do that you will begin to find yourself doing those things for which you were created those good things that God has prepared for you, even in advance, to do. You might be wondering what your life is about, what your ministry is, what your mission is. What, I hear lots of people saying, what are, my, what are my spiritual gifts? What is it that God wants me to do? Well, I would suggest the more we do spiritual things, the more we fall in line with what his plan is and his plans are. I, I had this um, um, uh, uh, this, this psalm which Peter's been mentioning to me but also came up in my prayers from the psalmist where it says um, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells and in this river there is a there's a, a movement of, of uh, the water flows and moves, we've seen pictures of it and there's a momentum to it and a direction to it and, and, and the picture of this river is that it, it bears you know it's got trees which are life giving along the edge of it and they bring healing and that's the picture of it But there's a momentum to to the Holy Spirit's work here at NBC. He has plans for us. He has things that he would want us to do. The flow of the Spirit through the worship and through the prayer and through the the covenant relationships and through the the membership and through the giving and through the generosity and through mums and toddlers and dads group and Friday fellowship and sun lunch and the youth work and the children's work and and the life groups. And through all of these different activities, there's a flow and a movement and a momentum of the Holy Spirit that's at work and as, as we move in that flow so so uh, uh, we, we join in with what God's doing we suddenly find our meaning and our purpose in life, we find out what God wants us to do, we find ourselves actually we've been a bit selfish but God has put us in the flow of the Holy Spirit and suddenly we find ourselves reading with children in school and it, and it starts to fulfil something which we didn't know that we had or we start to find ourselves with prophetic words as we come into worship God gives us pictures as we come into the flow of the Holy Spirit. We find that we have a healing gift. We have a we have a um, we have a, a, a pastoral gift. We have a we have a serving gift. We come into the flow of it, and we suddenly find ourselves find ourselves doing those things which God has prepared for us long since in advance. When we do spiritual things, and as we join in with the spiritual momentum. Um, of the church and of our lives and, and, and Paul says um, Paul says this doesn't he In, in back there in Ephesians that we, are, we are God's handiwork we're created in Christ to do good works we're not saved by doing those good works but we're created to do those good works to join in with him, to be ones who pull in the kingdom of the future into the present. We know that there is corrosion, and there is sin, and there is selfishness, and there is drought, and there is famine, and there's and there's and there's in some places there's no medicine, and there's there's abuse, and there's violence, and there's despair, and there's depression, and there's suicide, and 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 God has called some of us as we do spiritual things to intervene, to get involved by prayer and continue to pray and praying in the spirit and and stepping out in faith to be involved to be the antidote there is a redeemer it's not us but he calls us to join in with him and I know my weakness and I'm like Paul I could I could boast about the stuff that I have done but also I'm so aware of the way that I fail in this and yet there's a calling on us isn't there to do it to step up and do it step in and do it keep on keep on some of the some of the most Deepest, richest, holiest, most spiritual and loving people I know continue to fight with their own weakness and frailty and failure and disappointment and sinfulness. And they wouldn't know that I was talking about them when I say that they're the holiest and lovingest and best because they they wouldn't think that that's about them. And yet that's who they are. None can Boast, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And so the journey is this. We're lost and in darkness, far away from God, strangers and aliens, and unable to find our way back. He comes and he finds us and he rescues us and he washes us and he cleanses us and he seats us, with, with the, um, we're seated with the, with the Father, in heaven, with Christ in heavenly realms. And as we begin to do those spiritual things, so we begin to find ourselves walking in the paths that he would have for us to walk, meeting with the people that he would have us meet with, stepping in those ways of faith and the things of heaven which are going to transform the society and the community Around us. I really think this is true. But none of it really for any of us begins until we die to ourselves. Until we recognize that we are lost without Christ. And he uh, comes to us and he rescues us there. Let's say a prayer now.